of us was paying attention, or at least very, very few of us, Deontay Johnson has become a legitimate star in the NFL. How did that happen? How did that happen with almost no one noticing it? Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer up Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this. Deontay had a monster game Sunday. And the two touchdowns in particular underscored that. One of them was just a beautifully designed play by Matt Canada, which, as Ben Roethlisberger would tell me after the game, Ben turned and pointed to the coach's booth up near the press box in Heinz Field to make sure that Canada uh, knew that he appreciated the call. The second one was basically just a pitch out to Deontay in which he was able to get the final few yards by beating Marlon Humphrey to the goal line. Really impressive overall performance. And not at all an outlier. Really, that's the part that that stands out about this, is that it really shouldn't have stood out. Did you know that Deontay Johnson's 76 catches are the eighth most in the league? Did you know that his 914 yards are the seventh most in the league? Did you know that his six receiving touchdowns are 12th most in the league? No. No. Nobody knew this. Nobody's been noticing this at all because you think of the Steelers' passing game as just this complete non-entity. Did you know, this is my favorite number by far, that Deontay's 120 targets, the number of times that Ben's thrown the ball in his direction, are the fourth most in the league. That's the one that gets me. That's the one that makes me go, wait a second. Because speaking only for myself here, my perception has been that he's not getting the ball nearly enough. I spoke on yesterday's show that I felt that Deontay needs to get the ball more. Wrote it in the column as well from Heinz Field. Wouldn't it be something if Deontay got the ball? He's getting it a little less than 12 times a game coming his way. And that's to say nothing of, you know, end arounds and reverses and so forth. He's getting his touches. So the question is, and again, I'm not going to speak for anybody other than myself here. Why hadn't I noticed that when I'm at all the games, home and road, and asking all these questions and everything else here. Why hadn't I noticed that? What's missing, if anything? This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying. 
Whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format would work best for you. Find out more about all of this at pointpark.edu. Let's start with this as a possible explanation. Deontay is anything but the look-at-me, look-at-me type. And yeah, I saw his celebration after the wide-open touchdown. He was excited. He motioned to the crowd. He thumped his chest and whatever else. That's just a dude enjoying his six points. But he's not the kind to go uh, pumping himself up, whether it's on social media or anywhere else. And my goodness, listen to a little bit of him talking after the game Sunday with us. Yeah. You feel that? Yeah, the more you keep pounding the ball, eventually something's going some gonna to break break open and whatnot. And then they, we started to wear him down up front. O-line was doing a great job coming off the ball, pushing the D-line back. And we was able to get those five, six-yard gains. And that was just wearing him down. We was able to keep capitalizing on it. Yeah, this is not someone who's going to call uh, attention to himself in any capacity. And he's not going to complain about not getting a football. And he's not going to worry about where he ranks with this or that or whatever. Humble kid came here from Toledo with, uh, at least externally, modest expectations. Right off the bat, the Steelers internally believed that they had someone who could be an Antonio Brown-type receiver, not comparing him, of course, to A.B. There's only one A.B. So what's missing? What, why does it feel, at least to me, that there's something missing? That, that's what I was asking myself here coming into this episode. And what I feel it might be is that we don't see enough of him until the second half or the fourth quarter. And, yeah, I understand the reasons for that. I understand that it takes time for the opponent to respect your running game. It takes a lot of time for this offense to earn that respect. And in the interim, all anyone does, and Baltimore did it again Sunday, is clog the box and not worry about anything deep. But when we see Ben start moving into that hurry-up offense mode. And it's it's not really a no-huddle in the traditional sense, meaning there are still play calls coming down from Matt Canada, as Ben acknowledged after the game Sunday. But when they're moving faster, when they've got that rhythm going, and as Ben said, additionally, when you have the other team put into a spot where they can't keep mixing and matching packages because you're moving too fast for them to change multiple personnel, you free up the field and all that grass for Deontay, who is an elite route runner. I don't know there are a lot of things that I would attach to Deontay where I would say that he's elite, but route running is one of them. He works his rear end off. He's like no other receiver on the roster in that regard. And they themselves will tell you that. Minka Fitzpatrick was telling us just yesterday, in fact, that his 
recent couple of interceptions, he credited those to Deontay watching him do all this extra work out there and catching footballs. He started going out there with him and doing the same thing, even though he's not an offensive player. You know who else they said that about? It was A.B. No one outworked A.B. Lots of character flaws and everything else. No one outworked him. This guy, if he can get more involved in the offense earlier, I have a feeling you'd see a lot more open up in general for Ben, for everybody else, and oh, by the way, also for Najee Harris. Because you did notice that after Ben hit the slant to Claypool, Chase Claypool for uh, a big gain, and then he hit a couple of longer plays to Deontay, then Najee's getting the ball and he's going up the middle and he's actually getting some yards, not just running into that figurative wall. And even Benny Snell got in the mix. Benny Snell got in the mix. Why? Because the off or the defense for the other side had been softened. Deontay can have that impact earlier in games too, and then maybe it won't hit people like me as if it's a ton of bricks that he's got top 10 numbers and he's a top 10 wide receiver in this league when we come back just one question of a costly officiating call in almost every game this year. Should the NFL allow penalties to be challenged in certain cases, such as the field goal block in Green Bay? Matt, the challenges are right there in black and white. What can be challenged, what can't be challenged. Uh, It's a pretty extensive list. I think if you keep Adding to that list, you will keep adding to the delays and the slowdown in a game that not that many people complain about football games being too long, certainly not the way they do with baseball, but they're not short, you know. Uh, They're not crisp entertainment in that regard. There's a lot of time between plays. There's a lot of time built into the TV timeouts between plays, which if you're in stadiums, feels like an eternity, and that matters too. So I'm not in favor of just constantly adding more and more and more, although I do agree with you that in the the case that you cite, the field goal uh, block in Green Bay, Joe Hayden absolutely was not offside, neither was Minka Fitzpatrick right next to him, and that should have been something that everyone could have taken a look at given how massively influential it was in the outcome. As for your your opening question there, there are exactly 32 teams and 32 fan bases who feel just like that. That is not something that is unique. The only time you will ever hear me bite back at fans when it comes to officiating complaints is when they start talking about how they're slanted against our team. 
look, I know there was an NBA guy a few years ago who was busted for officiating games in a certain way that influenced uh, gamblers' bets. Uh, Tim Donahue was his name. And I also know that the overwhelming majority, and I'm talking about 99.99999% of the men and women who officiate professional sports, and actually sports at all levels, aren't that. They're people who work really, really hard to get where they are. And I know, right now, I'm I'm getting everybody to tune out here. Oh, yeah, dude, play your violin. They all suck and whatever else here. But, But hear me out, because I've gotten to know some of these people. When they make it up from one level to another, when they graduate from... Uh, in the case of football, from high school to college, from college to the NFL, it is a really, really big deal. It is a point of pride for them. If you think they go out onto the field, these seven or eight people, depending on how many are involved in a crew, and think to themselves collectively, you know what, we are going to stick it to the Pittsburgh Steelers today then you are out of your mind. I don't mean you, Matt. Just just hear me out here, okay? But if you think that, if you think that these people who are all from different backgrounds, come from different cities, and have trained themselves to be impartial in every way, and that they go out on the field and they get together, they conspire, they actually have a discussion. We are going to stick it to Pittsburgh today. Or some of these other, and I hear this from people who've been watching football all their lives. They say these things casually like, oh, Vegas wants this game to stay close. So you're going to see New York calling these refs so that they can, they can make a call. Who thinks something like that happens without one of these officials at any point in their lives, including post-retirement, ratting them out. I mean, it would be a pretty amazing story. I know I'd appreciate having that big exclusive. If you're a former official and anybody's ever told you to keep a game close, throw some flags to keep the score close, that's unethical beyond belief. But call me. Call me. Let me know. I want that story. I want to report that. I want to report who it was in the New York office or at some Vegas gambling house who said, yeah, yeah, we we want this game to be closer. Someone get on the horn with those refs. Who really believes this stuff? And yet you hear it so casually, like it's just nothing. It's a very, very, very serious scenario. And within that accusation. The Steelers are dealing with the same refs and the same issues, the same problems as every team in the National Football League, in the National Hockey League, in Major League Baseball, in the National Basketball Association, in Major League Soccer, and everywhere else. And enough people get mad about it, and they're fans, so they can't even relate to someone being on that field not having a vested interest in who wins and it ends up it ends up coming out like this no 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 
If the officiating is bad, it's bad for both teams. If the officiating is good, it's good for both teams. It's got nothing to do with playing favorites or picking on certain teams. And if you think that it does, good luck making that case. Would love to hear it. Would love to hear it. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. Let's do another one tomorrow before I fly on up to Minneapolis. Minneapolis.